Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick, and I am recording this from Las Vegas, so it probably sounds a little bit different, just the acoustics and stuff from my home office, and my voice is probably a little bit gravelly, which we will just chalk up to late nights and smoky air and <laughs> a little bit of allergies and talking at a higher decibel than I usually do because there are over 1,300 people registered at MRC this year, which for context, historical context, the very first one I attended in 2009, there were 250 attendees and right around or less than 20 women in attendance. So it's come a long way in the past 13 years since I've been attending. And that was one of the first events. They'd had a few before then. So I did not attend the first one. And now it's, I don't know, roughly just based on who I see walking through the halls, 30 to 40% women. Now, full disclosure, I'm recording this on International Women's Day. And I can tell you that representation is just the first step. We still have a really long ways to go as far as confidence building and being supportive and not assuming that you need to talk to a woman like they're a 12 year old. I still have that happen to me on a fairly regular basis. So it's all good. I'm not here to whine about that at all. But I'm just saying the representation is a first step and it's a really good first step. But always have room for improvement. That said, I am finally launching F4 today. So it will be available on when this episode comes out. For those of you that don't know, F4 stands for Fearless Female Fraud Fighter. It is my own program that I've created for women in fraud. We think a little bit differently than most programs for women in tech or in cybersecurity, etc. And I have a little bit of a different approach. I think that while it is very easy to identify improvements that other people need to make for women in the workplace, whether that's equal pay or treating us as equals and listening to ideas and giving credit to ideas and all of those things. There's a lot that we as women can do. We've been conditioned to be quiet, to not question the status quo, to not have confidence, to not brag. And those are things that I've had to deal with and learn in my own journey as far as how to not hold myself back. And I still struggle with it daily. I mean, one of the reasons why I have had the intention of launching F4 for the last two months isn't because there isn't a desire for it. There's over 250 women internationally on the waiting list. And I get a lot of heartbreaking emails and messages on a regular basis from women who are a little bit earlier in their career or even sometimes around the same time as my career who struggle with holding themselves back in imposter syndrome. So if you are a woman, identify as one or are non-binary, you are very welcome to attend. 
I mean, men are welcome as well. I never want to be exclusive, but you might feel a little uncomfortable and it probably won't apply to you. But I do know there are several of our male listeners who are so supportive of their female team members and have reached out to me to ask for advice on how they can mentor female employees, especially with the confidence level where they're saying, they really know their stuff and they're amazing, but they don't believe they're amazing. How do I help them know that? And so for those of you, please consider sending your female employees. I think that everyone who had, almost everyone that attended last year, I think there was one person that was a little (laughs) disappointed, but other than that, out of 75, I'll take it. And everyone said it was great. So I'm going to stop talking about that. One of the reasons why I wanted to record while at MRC for this event was because I knew that I'd be having lots of conversations with people and kind of wanted to have an idea of what would be helpful to talk about this week. I have already had so many conversations with amazing people and humans and that work for very large brands for the last few days, but I have decided that instead of kind of cherry picking one conversation here, one conversation there, I'm going to going to do trend analysis because once a fraud analyst, always a fraud analyst and provide a full report next week on Thursday's episode. It might even honestly be a few episodes. There's definitely a few things that industry-wide need to be addressed on a bigger platform. And so why not me? So solution providers and those of you who work with solution providers, uh, you're going to be getting a lecture from teacher Carice's you know, they say, but it's because I want to help you guys improve. I know you are also frustrated with not getting your emails responded to, et cetera, and you probably don't realize why. So while this is something that I work with a select group of solution providers on in a more formal way for consulting, I am going to provide a lot of information on just how to be better and how to understand that this market is different than any other SaaS sales market that you will find. So 90% of the books that you're going to read about sales aren't going to work here. That is definitely the theme I've gotten so far is just complaints about sales, emails, horror stories about very large companies. Like I'm talking top 50 retailers in e-commerce, pretty bad experiences with their current vendors and not feeling not only appreciated or valued, but just like they're getting what they need and it's costing their company money. And There are definitely other companies lining up to take their business. So you can look forward or not look forward to those episodes soon. But what I wanted to kind of just talk about a little bit on this episode today is I wanted to highlight the Ravelin survey that just uh, came out last week. I'm sure it came out in tandem of MRC. You'll probably see several press releases this week. That's pretty common because this is probably the largest annual conference for e-commerce fraud and payments in the U.S. and internationally that's solely focused on that and definitely drives the biggest enterprise merchants. And Ravelin is our sponsor this week and actually for this chunk of time. And we do six weeks, six week installments. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about BNPL. It's not installments, but you guys know what I mean. Please keep in mind, not running on a lot of sleep right now. And I've been in Vegas since Saturday because Myself and Holly Sandberg, who has been a guest on the podcast before, and I make no secret that she's one of my closest friends. I got to see Katy Perry in Vegas two days before MRC started. So I've been here a few days. I'm a little tired and I'm sorry. So if I don't think of words off the top of my head, that is why. (laughs) But I really was impressed. And I'm not just saying that because they're our sponsor. And 
By the way, if you are listening to this before 12 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday, be sure to stop by the Ravelin booth at MRC number 306 because they are giving away a very special gift to people who say the word fraudology. And I got to see it yesterday and it's valued at around 50 bucks and it is very nice. I'm not going to say what it is, but I will tell you it is worth stopping by. So I know that that's probably only a few of you listening to this before then, but make sure to get that out there. But a lot of times when I'm approached by merchants with questions, a lot of it is around best practices and benchmarking. And I do my best to remember them in my head and kind of do trend analysis in my head and and look for patterns and, and all of that and try to remember it all. But the older I get, and also since being diagnosed with ADHD last year, my memory is not that great. So I really am grateful when there are quality surveys published. And to be honest with you, not a lot of them are what I would call quality because a lot of times the questions are created by solution providers who have very good intentions, but don't know which pieces of information help a merchant do their job better and which data pieces help them explain to the business the importance of fraud and what their peers are doing and and to make strategic business decisions. And this, these are things that are often needed in e-commerce and technology. That is how other departments within an industry may, or within a company make decisions. And so fraud is expected to that as well. And there are a couple of decent ones out there. I created one in 2018 that people still ask me if it's coming back soon. It's not because there's not sponsorship, but that might be changing. But anyway, not the point. Um, that was the fraud operation survey. If you're interested, however, the data is obsolete at this point, especially after COVID. But Ravelin State of Fraud Report, I have to say, is the closest thing I've seen to my fraud operations report that I did four years ago. And I dove through it this morning and was really impressed. So I'm going to give a few highlights, but we will put the link to the State of Fraud report in or to download it uh, in the show notes. So click on the episode. And when you see the description, look for that link and you can click on it. I am not just saying this because Ravelin is a sponsor, but it sure works out nice that way. They surveyed over 1,700 fraud and payments professionals internationally. So they got a lot of great information and they broke it down by verticals, such as retail, travel and event ticketing, hospitality, or maybe it was travel and entertainment, hospitality, et cetera. I think that delivery or home entertainment, as they're calling it, was also a vertical, as well as by geographic region. So you can really get specific. There's over 70 pages of data in this report and... It took everything I had not to read every word of it, but I have a big day at the conference and I actually have to speak soon. So I need to, I couldn't spend as much time as I wanted to, but here are just some of the highlights that I found. And I did write a page and a half of highlights. So you'll still get quite a bit of information on this podcast, but the really good granular information that I know will help e-commerce merchants and fintech companies really understand where you stack up against your peers, what they care about right now, what their pain points are, that's in the report. So just a few, well, I was going to say just a few things, but like I said, page and a half, because I said, oh, this is going to be a quick podcast and it will be for me, but order volume has increased for 50% of the merchants surveyed, especially in home entertainment, which includes obviously streaming services, home delivery, so food delivery, grocery delivery, 
et cetera, et cetera, as well as retailers, subscription merchants, and digital delivery items. Obviously, travel and entertainment probably, well, didn't see an increase until recently. So they're probably the biggest ones impacted negatively by COVID. But they did talk a lot about the impact on e-commerce in a way that I haven't seen before. And I was grateful for it because it does actually a lot. I should say all the responses that I saw in the data was consistent with things that or with conversations I'm having with enterprise merchants. So I think it is very reliable. The COVID impact on e-commerce varied by geography too, not just by vertical. Merchants in France said that 75% of them have experienced a positive impact on sales since COVID. However, Brazil is much less optimistic and probably because 2021 had a big impact on Brazil from their COVID perspective, not just so e-commerce is going to be one of those things impacted because the country experienced pains in COVID in 2021, whereas France and Europe primarily saw the full extent of the impacts of COVID on the health of their citizens and then in turn quarantines and restrictions and guidelines, et cetera, on them earlier. So with Brazil, it was in 2021 when COVID really impacted them. So it's not super surprising that the merchants there are saying that that's impacted e-commerce. They're not seeing that boom e-commerce spending like other regions are. And I would put the U.S. in the middle of those two places. <laughs> for that. And that's what the data essentially said as well. Fraud rates in Mexico are growing the fastest. 80% of merchants said there's been an increase in fraud since 2020. Approximately 20% of all accounts opened in Mexico are fraudulent. That's pretty similar to the U.S. right now as well. There's a lot of fake accounts being opened for abuse, whether that's refund abuse, promo code abuse, loyalty abuse, all kinds of abuse, as well as fraud and bots, uh, non-human attacks, all of these things. So pretty soon, and I, I actually do know there are a few companies that already seem to have more accounts than are humans in, I don't know about the world, but in the geographies that they process in. And I d don't think e-commerce has been around long enough to say that that's all based on attrition as far as more people turning 18 or, or that kind of thing. Overall, there's just more business awareness of fraud which translates into budget than ever before. And that's encouraging. Do we have a very long way to go? Yes. But there were some, just one example is that CFOs are realizing the importance of hiring people with digital and online at fraud experience after the impacts of COVID on e-commerce. So in a way, COVID has been, has had a positive impact on e-commerce and in turn, on e-commerce fraud. And when I say a positive impact on e-commerce fraud, I mean from a visibility and understanding perspective. It's obviously had a negative impact on fraud rates and chargebacks and losses. But when it comes to the business understanding how dang important people with digital and online fraud experience are for saving their company money, they're finally getting it. Like I said, I'm sure you may not be feeling that in your company yet. I found this very encouraging and I can say it's consistent with conversations I've had as well as consulting engagements that I'm having. It's definitely a much better year than 2021 was for uh, my business as well. So that means I'm busier than ever, but it also means it's a little bit of a relief too. So I think I would assume as well that solution providers are, are feeling that as well, where there's more companies than ever interested in what new technology is out there. And when I say bigger budgets, it's not just for fraud tools. It's also for internal hires. 
I definitely seen salaries be increased in this space. There are a few people who have gotten crazy salaries by companies that were very negatively affected by COVID and knew that they needed experts in those positions. I Then I've also seen some companies not provide any increase in pay to their current staff and they're losing people. That's happening in every industry with the great resignation. But I think because fraud has long been underappreciated and just misunderstood within companies, a lot of times they just assume fraud prevention equals sales prevention. And I've talked about that at length on other podcast episodes. So I won't go into that spiel now. If you haven't listened to that, the first episode that comes to my mind that I know we talked about this in depth was my first interview with Diana Gajek Physic about two months ago around demonstrating the value of a fraud department. So definitely recommend looking that one up if you haven't listened to it yet, if you want more info on that part. There's a really good portion of the survey where they detailed, they provided a detailed overview of fraud team job duties and their responsibilities, the positioning within the company, et cetera. I don't know if I've talked about what I've found as far as what I've just observed about metrics and KPIs and what a fraud team cares about or needs to care about based on who they report to. For instance, if they report to the CFO, finance and, and numbers are obviously going to be number one, right? If they report to information security, there's going to be a different impact there. I don't remember. So um, if I haven't, I will do a deep dive on that soon. Someone please feel free to tell me if I have or if I haven't. If I get 20 people telling me, I'm fine with that. So um, I'm asking for it. But it, if that if that would be something of interest to you too, let me know. I mean, if it's not, then that's fine. But they're just things that I've noticed. And because I started out as a fraud analyst, I noticed the details more than certainly the average person. And so I just start to kind of go, huh, okay, yeah. If the fraud department reports to operations, these are what they're going to care about. This is what they're going to need to know. This is what they're going to need in a provider or a, a tool, et cetera. Around perception of the fraud team. So kind of talked about that already a little bit. But when merchants were asked specifically, like, how do you feel about how your business has been viewing the fraud team? And are they getting you support that you need? 80% says, no, is that right? Sorry, I'm reading the wrong number. But all verticals, it wasn't 80%, but all verticals within that survey, so broken up by retail and travel and hospitality, et cetera, they all have said that it's significantly improved or at least improved since 2020. So again, I try to look for the good news and that is definitely good news. Do we have a long way to go? Heck yes. But is it really nice to see progress after it feels like we haven't had any in over a decade? <laughs> yeah. It is because it encourages us to keep going, to keep crafting those messages, to keep explaining the business case, making the business case, explaining to our, our leadership and cross-functional teams why this matters so much and how so much beyond chargebacks. And I also think that customer trust in other areas of the world, like the UK and EU, are very important. And they're becoming, they're quickly becoming just as important in the US. And that also plays a factor because when customer trust is actually a currency, businesses are noticing that as well. And then the survey goes on to talk about the type of tools preferred by different verticals. So there aren't name brands, but there are type of tools, right? Like geolocation data, device ID, rules engines versus ML, 
3D secure, et cetera, et cetera. So those categories, and I think that's very interesting for merchants and solution providers alike. It also goes through, and I really appreciated this from Ravelin. They've been one of the companies that have talked about refund abuse and other things in a smart way. I have to say I've been frustrated, but not surprised that some solution providers have been talking about refund abuse, but don't have a solution for it or any idea really what the problem is, what the root cause of the issues are, what those groups in Telegram are doing, what their exact MO is, what the tools are at their disposal, what they'll go to if you put something some of the more obvious stops in place. I've been watching this for two years and kind of know exactly, okay, if a merchant puts X in place, these guys are going to move to Y. And so, for instance, if you add additional scrutiny on inventory not received claims, well, then they're going to go to saying the box was empty or it was damaged. And damaged in a way, depending on what you sell, that you're not going to ask for it back. The easiest example is, Laptops or anything with a lithium-ion battery can't be shipped in the mail without sticker. And if it's leaking, you it can't be shipped at all. And so somewhat common knowledge in these circles. And so you can bet if they got a phone or a laptop or anything with a lithium-ion battery, which is a lot of things, they'll just claim that it's damaged and go from there. Now, if a merchant then requests a picture, then they go to other methods such as what they call FTID or others. And this is not the refund episode. I know I had said that, that was coming and it still is, but I'm just saying all that because I think it's really important if you're a merchant to know, to look for a solution provider that is walking the, the talk and not just talking about it to get into newspapers or get on stages at events, et cetera. And so you really need somebody who understands it. And I think the thing about Ravelin I've appreciated is that they've been very honest, that they understand it. They don't have all the answers, but because they understand it in a way I think is necessary, they're approaching it the right way. They're not just looking at solo account history and saying, well, this one customer has 20 returned items, so they're a bad customer. Well, they'll just create a new account. And for merchants I know that have done that, which they can kind of do that themselves, they've only seen a 10% at best decrease in refunds when they crack down on specific accounts that are abusers. And oftentimes those abusers are big fans of their brands. And so they also usually have a net positive lifetime value. I'm getting way more in the weeds on that than I thought I would. But <laughs> what I wanted to say about just abuse is that Ravelin actually points out some of the trends in refund abuse, promo code abuse, loyalty abuse, et cetera, where that information is still, those problems are still really new. This is the first survey I've seen break it out in this way by different types of abuse and not just saying, well, how much payment fraud do you have? And then how much non-payment fraud, but it's still abuse and costs your company money do you have? And then within that, the specific types of abuse, because you're going to need to mitigate them in different ways. And then also just important factors to identify fraud. I found this one really fascinating and had to stop myself. So I was like, oh boy, I'm running late as it is. But they talk about important factors to identify fraud, such as you know, what's important to each company broken out by vertical. Is it customer profile? Is it their history? Is it the order content? What they're ordering? Is it shipping, which really only pertains to retailers? And that's kind of an older myth or not a myth, but just something that people used to look at more so, as well as a device ID, location, et cetera. So what's most important to retailers by that? What's most important to 
travel and hospitality within those options and others. So I think I'm just going to sum this up that I this is not meant as an advertisement for my sponsor. However, I think they did a tremendous job on this survey. And I know how important survey information is to the industry as a whole, as well as individual merchants who are trying to build that business case and explain to their business why this matters and what their peer companies are doing in a quantifiable way rather than just qualitative, like when we're doing information sharing, et cetera, which is equally important, but doesn't look as good on a graph when you're presenting it to your CEO or C-suite leadership, et cetera. So with all of that, I am going to take off and start my day at MRC. I'm speaking later today, so let's hope my voice gets a little less gravelly and I will be drinking a lot more coffee between now and then. But I am looking forward to sharing so much more about this week with you all. It has been, it, it has felt both normal and surreal and it's both foreign and familiar to be surrounded in a conference center with 1,300 of my closest friends in the industry. It, it's so fun to see familiar faces. Some of them I've known for most of my adult life. I was, I was told I'm part of the old guard and I was like, does that mean I'm old? Well, yeah, probably. But I'll take it because hopefully that means I have some experience as well. And just it's so fun to see new people. But I also am very aware that there's a lot of you who couldn't make it this time. So I am going to do my best to keep you informed so that you don't feel like you missed out on critical information. And I just kind of need a little more time to organize the thoughts because they're all over the place right now. With that, I always appreciate you listening. Be sure to like and review the podcast and share it with your friends and I will talk to you soon. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.